and welcome to episode 87 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today, you know, let's start with Derek first. I want to introduce Derek first. Hey, I'm Derek. I'm still Embryon on the boards, even though you never see me there. And uh, it's been kind of a busy last couple of months. It's been a crazy semester for me at uh, the university, so I haven't been around much. I've missed the last couple episodes of the podcast, but... Hopefully I'm back to stay. It's good at, to see you all. At uni, as they call Here it. You down. At uni. Right. That's what Andrew calls right. it. Right, yes, right. <laughs> I'm really feeling it, so yes. It's great. Cool, cool, cool. And we also have Steven here, ladies and gentlemen. Steve Myring, Tales on the Boards. Steven, Hello. I get to play Inquisition early while Rob has to play Lords of the Fallen early. How is Dargon Age? <laughs> I like it's Dargon. A, it's an RPG. It's a game. It's cool, a game. Let's move on. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into the John McCarroll school of game description. Well, it's an RPG that has characters uh, and some combat. Uh, it's got some stats. It's got music. Uh, it has actual music in the game. Uh, you can use controls to play it. But are there game. graphics? There are some graphics. Okay, cool. Yep. You guys are such children. Good show. Uh, <laughs> we actually have four people on this week's episode as we are joined by Caitlin. Hey guys, Caitlin Argeros, Link is our on the boards, and this is all part of my evil plan to take over all the podcasts. We we know. We Damn it, why did we let her in here? Uh, cause Too it, late! We, oh, we were no. just, everybody betray me! Everybody betray me. <laughs> <laughs> and I just died in the Binding of Isaac. Oh, that's sad. Okay. <sighs> so we have a lot of games to talk about, guys. There yeah, have been have. a lot of major releases lately. Do I have to talk about Lords of the Fallen? Yes, we have to talk about Lords of the Fallen <laughs> this podcast. Oh, God. Okay. We, we, we talked about how good Dragon Age was for like an hour and a half last night. We have to talk a little bit about Lords of the Fallen. Well, give me one second. Um, Stephen, why don't you introduce Lords of the Fallen as I have a student coming up to me asking a question right now who's taking a test. And I knew that that was going to happen the second I started talking. So, Stephen, introduce Lords of the Fallen. How about instead of introducing Lords of the Fallen, we have Derek talk about fantasy life since I've never played Lords of the Fallen. Well, well, it, well, we can talk about Lords of the Fallen. I was going to mention that I, I saw this game at E3 last year, and despite the developers' absolute best intentions, I they were very nice people, and uh, they had a very nice booth, but that game was just, ugh. It, it really, I, I hate to make such a, a base comparison, but it really is kind of like the poor man's Dark Souls, and I'm not a fan of dark souls in the first place did you know that by the way did you know that i'm not really into dark souls that's kind of weird i know but nope well, that makes my christmas present i don't know where i'd know that from. <laughs> no, um, I, it's, you know it, i sort it of similar to dark souls it's got a very similar uh like a, a similar camera angle similar mechanics almost the same interface yeah what were you gonna say so i sort of trolled rob a little bit um you know he was ranting about how bad it was and i was like well, the, some of the reviews say it's okay, and you know, I just I was pretty much trolling him as hard as I could. I was like, maybe you're just not very good at it. Um, you're such a oh and my god! Then I watched like 20 minutes of gameplay footage, and I was like, dear lord, this looks. You know, I I've heard a lot of arguments of people saying, oh, it's a really great game, and I'm like, I feel like the same people saying that are the people saying that Dragon's Dogma is a great game. Yeah, this is great because it's sort of like a really good game, but not everybody likes it, so we like it. I mean, I'm not trying. What I'm looking for is hipster Dark Souls. Uh, if people like the game, that's perfectly fine. I'm never going to take something away from 
people that like it. But when when Derek played it at E3, I was really interested. I was like, oh, what's this game going to be like? Is it going to be good? You know, what's it feel like, Derek? And Derek kind of just looked at me as like, um, it's pretty crappy Dark Souls. And I was like, oh, no, come on. It can't be that bad. Now, Derek was right. Uh, Derek was a hundred percent right when he played it. Um, it's got some good ideas. It kind of has the starting Dark Souls style combat of health meter, stamina bar, uh, some magical attacks. I think what I liked so much, what I was so intrigued about it was that it really goes for this weighty style combat where you're swinging swords the size of boat anchors. And I really like that, but it doesn't feel like that at all. Like when you, when you play God of War and you connect with like the blade of Artemis, like it tears people in half. It feels really good when it hits people. It feels really good and chunky. This game, you end up hitting somebody with a battle axe the size of a small car, and they don't even register a reaction. And that just really, really bothers me. Yes, as Jackie's holding up a piece of paper with the boat from uh, Pacific Rim, where the robot comes out with the boat and hits the kaiju with it, you, you're waiting for that kind of impact in this game, and it just doesn't happen none of the attacks feel good there are a whole list of problems like it's just very janky the frame rate is a mess it just never feels good it never feels like this game is coming together and i think the worst thing i can say about it is that it doesn't feel like it's following through with its vision of we're gonna have this really really weighty combat it's not doing anything with it yeah the the demo that i played was focusing a lot on these contextual encounters like in dark souls where you, you need to use the environment to your advantage or there has to be some kind of trick that you can use or something just to make each encounter interesting and the one that i recall was there was a, a giant enemy and there's a pit that you have to trigger in the middle of this little arena to make him fall down and the dude just stops walking when i trigger the pit stares at me and then walks forward straight into it and falls to his death and i'm like all right cool that's Great job, guys, with your, your super intense encounters. It it seemed like they're <laughs> they were trying really hard to make everything interesting and dynamic, but at least at the time that I played the demo, that was the demo, so I don't know what has changed. But you said it's pretty janky, so I don't know if if they've polished that up very much. Those yeah. aspects. Yeah, it's very video gamey. Like the first boss in the game, he has a shield, and you have to attack past the shield. And it just feels kind of terrible. It doesn't really feel like you're you're getting really good impacts. Then the second boss, he summons you know guys to help him out, and he has an insta kill attack if you don't get into the right area. Where the game tells you nothing of this when you first do it. It doesn't tell you that you need to get away from his giant. I'm going to annihilate you unless you're under this little gazebo trick. The third boss has this thing where he can drain your health at the same time he drains your mana. It's just it's very video gamey. And it doesn't help matters that the art direction looks like a Guar concert from 1994. Like the the whole thing is just all shoulder pads and giant meat heads, and it, it it's just not you know it, it's it sort of reminds me of the Guitar Hero. I can't remember if it's two or three aesthetic that I just absolutely hated. Yes. It was like Guitar Hero had sort of like a neutral aesthetic at first, or like you know rock and roll, and then they were like Guar. Yeah, everybody looks like Lars Umlaut in. Uh, <laughs> okay, well I do like Lars Umlaut. He was my favorite. Everybody character. Everybody looks like that, and you know there's something to be said for that kind of cohesive art direction, but it just never feels good. It just feels like this game. They knew what they wanted to make, but I don't even think that they accomplished what they wanted to make. They wanted to make this really meaty combat that feels, you know, really special, really impactful. And the most damning thing I can say about it is it never does feel that way. 
And I just got really bummed out as I just kept playing it because there were moments where it felt really good. There were moments where I was able to, you know, really spearhead a dude with an awesome attack. And I was going, oh, man, that felt really good. But they were so few and far between that eventually I just gave up and I, I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take any more of this just really janky game and it, i'm sorry but it it needed about two more months in qa i'm kind of with all the assassin's creed unity stuff coming out right now and how much crap that game's gotten i i'm kind of surprised that lords of the fallen is kind of being like a critical darling to some people i'm like guys i had people disappearing i had people blocking attacks when their shields weren't up i had times where i just wouldn't take damage like, I was getting attacked from behind. I had 12 arrows sticking out of my back, and I'm not taking any damage. Like, th this game is rough. It, it is a really rough game, and I think we're kind of seeing that across the board with a lot of new releases right now uh, for the new consoles. And I don't know if that's coming from overambition or if it's because a lot of games started out as PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 games. I don't know what it is, but, I, you know, we're kind of... I, I personally think it's... We need to get this game out for the holiday because of sales numbers, so we'll just... Release it now and patch it later. Right. And I think Lords of the Fallen could have been something really special with a little bit more time in development, a little bit more time to get their systems right. They actually do some cool things with like the level up structure. I kind of like that, how you can level up uh, different magical abilities. You can kind of bank your experience points, or you can push ahead and keep getting a bigger and bigger multiplier for every enemy that you kill. They're actually doing some unique risk-reward stuff there that I kind of liked, but it just it never comes together in a proper way. Would you play a sequel? Mm. <laughs> uh, I mean, that answers that question. With all, yeah, the, that, that that is your answer right there. With all the technical issues ironed out, it's still a very average game. It doesn't have a good art direction. It doesn't have, in my opinion, it doesn't have an interesting story at all. Its combat is kind of. It's not as responsive or as fun as either of the Souls games that we've had up until now. And then you add the jank on top, and it's like, no, I'm I'm kind of good. I, I do not think I would play another one. Well, that's good, because you get to save time to play the next Dark Souls DLC anyway. I'm not playing uh, that. I'm not playing that. I've, I've already gone on record saying I'm not playing it. It's interesting you know, we, to me that you don't like it, too, because, like, you know, it gets reviewed really well. I mean, I haven't played it, but I, I you know, I say that having not finished Dark Souls oh. 2 because I thought it was not nearly interesting enough to I warrant being the, finished I thought that the DLC was getting crap reviews. It's all over the place. Some people really like the DLC for Dark Souls 2. Some people don't. I I'm firmly in the don't like it category. It's just more enemies that have big giant swords and they're really clumsy. That's why I couldn't beat Dark Souls 2. It was like, you know, the level was levels were pretty, but that whole we've started designing things as levels and not as that world that the first game had made it feel way too gamey and like... You know, it took finding secrets. It made that sort of feel a little less entertaining. And just the fact that every other boss was a dude with a sword was just lame. Yeah, and I think that there's a, a greater problem with the Dark Souls 2 DLC where they definitely took the criticism of, hey, Dark Souls 2 isn't hard enough. Because I, I firmly believe that Dark Souls 2 is easier than Dark Souls 1. And, I, you know, I've I played both games again recently. I have a lot more problems with Dark Souls 1 when I play it. Dark Souls 2, I can kind of move my way through it barely dying i think part of the issue is that they didn't recognize that people didn't like dark souls because it was difficult like the difficulty was helped facilitate part of the yes. game's design but like i didn't go this game is great because i'm dying a lot in weird ways it's like no, this game is great because it has fantastic exploration and combat and really challenging risk reward 
Yeah, and and to get back to Lords of the Fallen with that, so Dark Souls 2, I think the DLC went way overboard. I mean, there's one boss in the second DLC. I just can't beat him. Like, I played him 40 times. I did not even get close to finishing him. I got him down to a quarter of his health one time. It, Lords of the Fallen, it, it's funny. I died a lot playing it, but I never felt like it was hard. I just felt like the controls were completely failing me at the exact wrong moment, and I was getting killed because of it. The The boss that is able to heal himself at the same time that he drains your health and drains your mana, I knew exactly what I had to do. He has these little critters on the ground that you have to break open to prevent him from healing himself, and it's kind of an opportunity for you to attack. But when I'm sitting there swinging and I'm missing them because they're right in front of me and the hitbox is all wrong, and then I get hit and Harkin takes three days to get up, and then I get hit again that to me is not difficulty like a difficult fight is the fight against artorius because he's very very aggressive but he gives you opportunities to hit him this well fight the, artorius is one of the best bosses in that entire series and yes you know it's it's hard to compare to that even for a really good game but it just i mean artorius is the perfect kind of difficulty where you need to know how to fight him but if you do you can beat him perfectly yeah and the, this game just never feels good it, it consistently felt like the difficulty was purely artificial and i was getting so frustrated because i would know exactly what i needed to do but just something didn't work or i died in a stupid way and and just it just felt miserable like and, and then there would be this flash of brilliance where i would just hit somebody with this super hard hitting weapon and everything kind of worked right but then but then there's stuff that doesn't make any sense like i'm sitting there using a short sword and it's stun locking an enemy and then i hit him with this giant axe that does three times as much damage and that's not stun locking him. Like the enemy's shrugging it off and not caring. Like for as many problems as I had with Dark Souls 2 in that regard, like occasionally enemies just ignoring attacks, that never happened where I hit him with a stronger weapon that was doing more poise damage and the enemies were just flat out refusing to acknowledge it. That just happens way too often in this game. And it it really does scream of a title that probably came out of the oven a little too early as being very nice. I don't know. I, I Part of me does want to see a sequel. Part of me does. Like I, I think that they could maybe make this... I got kind of a Mark of Cree vibe when I was playing it. Like If you guys remember that game from the PlayStation 2, am I the only one that knows Mark of Cree? Am I... No, I, know that no, I played it. It, it had, had a cool little joke. swinging laser thing. Yeah, like it, the, the swinging laser to like attack different guys, and then when you got the battle axe, like you would tear through two dudes and like ac- absolutely cut them in half. I think that's the direction they should go with it. Like keep the stamina meter and everything, but make it so that you're fighting maybe a lot of enemies, but when you reel up and attack, if you connect, it just eviscerates people. Like that's maybe the direction for them to go. Not this one-on-one combat against really lame enemies that just don't behave properly and kind of cheat their way to victory. Just none of that. Just just go with the power fantasy. You know what I mean? Why not just go with it? If that makes sense. No, I can kind of I can I can dig that. It sounds like the game sort of had a really solid design vibe going for it. They just didn't execute on those ideas. Yeah. I don't know. It just it really bummed me out. I was super excited to play it. I I liked what I saw and I'll, I'll be honest, I was like there's no way. So Derek was wrong. I'm sure he was wrong. It's got to be good and it was just like nope. <laughs> nope. No, I, I fully admit that I I have some amount of bias and I I I tried to go into it with an open mind, but that's just because that's not the kind of game for me doesn't mean that I can't recognize when it's good in some areas, you know, like I recognize when Dark Souls does things right and why people I, I, I recognize why people like it is what I'm saying. 
and Lord a of the Fallen, I played it, I was just like, no, this. Yeah, it's... and that, it sounds like it can be a taste thing, but in the case of Lords of the Fallen, it's not. Yeah, it's the same feeling I had with um, uh, Radiant Historia. Like, I didn't get into that game, but I still respected it so much. Like, it 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 didn't do it for me, but I could recognize that it was a good game. Oh, well, you're just a nutter butter. <laughs> You're so mean to me. Uh, so where do we go from here? Do we go immediately into Dragon Age, or do I, we talk about how much I love Sega right now? Uh, Let's talk well. about how much you love Sega. 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 So the time that it took us to have our last podcast to now, Sega announced and released Valkyria Chronicles on PC. And there is not a single person who is not happy about that. And I was, And I was so happy to see that that game was the number one bestseller on Steam for a limited amount of time. It's still in the top 10. It was the number one bestseller on Steam above Assassin's Creed Unity and Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. And I'm not saying that to be a troll like, here you go, guys, JRPG is so much better than every other genre. These games are horrible. That's not my point. My point is that we've been hearing for so long from publishers that we don't want these games, and very clearly that is wrong. People oh, do yeah, absolutely. these games. People especially want them on PC, I think. Um, you know, it's like every time, it seems like every other week, it's like, some developer took a chance releasing a JRPG, and it sold gangbusters. Yeah, right? Like, it's just, it It has to not be the terrible JRPGs. Like, no, Hyperdimension Neptunia is never going to sell a bunch of copies. It's going to sell enough that the develop, that the publisher is happy with it, because that's a niche title that is not meant to appeal to everybody. But that's sort of the lesson they should take away from it, is that it doesn't have to appeal to everybody. Um, you know, a broader appeal JRPG like Bravely Default or Valkyria Chronicles is a smart choice because people want to play that. Like, I, I don't want to like it's in a good place for it too. Yeah, I agree. I think there there aren't a million of them out now, so it's it's a smart move, especially you know, it's sort of like you know when you have that friend who's like, "All oh, anime is Dragon Ball Z." Well, no, Dragon Ball Z is a very like pulpy kind of anime. Uh, not every JRPG is a Tales game or. Neptunia, not that I would hold those in the same regard, because I like Tales games and I think Neptunia sucks, but, uh, you know, it turns out people want to play video games. You just need to release them. Mm-hmm. Imagine I, that. I'm almost wondering, what do you guys think the sales numbers, or do we have any information on the sales numbers for Final Fantasy thirteen on PC? Like, I really want to know how that did. I'm, I'm curious. I don't know. Uh, I do know that either Square Enix Busted. listened or they were pressured into... You know they're they're going to be including actual PC options in the port of thirteen two, and they're going to be patching you know re- modifiable resolution and getting rid of like hit escape to insta quit from thirteen. So maybe for Square it was a case of well we're just going to release this now and fix it later, or maybe it was a case of well we're going to release this now and sort of hope nobody notices that it's broken, and then they got sort of pressured into fixing it. But either way, they're fixing it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm happy with Valkyrie Chronicles. I bought it full price. This will be like my fourth time trying to play this game, but I've decided that that's the next game I'm going to play right after I finish the next game we're going to talk about. But it looks great on PC. It looks like they put a lot of options into it. It's it just a gorgeous-looking game. If you're looking for an awesome strategy game, we've talked about Valkyrie Chronicles before. It's 20 bucks on Steam. Just support it. Like I was going to wait for a Steam sale, and I said, you know what? I'm going to use my dollars to vote. Like I want people to know that this is a good decision. Maybe it means we're going to get Yakuza. Maybe it means we're going to get Valkyria Chronicles 3 finally oh, released. Yeah. Oh, please. Oh, please. Oh, please. Yeah, Caitlin, talk more. Like, <laughs> tell, us, <laughs> tell us about your love of Valkyria Chronicles. 
Oh, uh, well, do we have an entire podcast for very? I, I don't think we do. The floor is hey, yours. If we can mm. devote like eight thousand podcasts to Dark Souls, we can devote one to Dark Souls. <laughs> I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Yeah, Dick. <laughs> uh, this was a, such a great experience that I don't know. It came out of nowhere for me. Um, I mean, I, I, I knew I was going to like it from like the first time I saw a screenshot, but I didn't realize how much I was going to love it until I played through it. And all I could think of is, I want more. And then we got Valkyrie Chronicles 2, which I still personally like. It gets a lot of flack, um, and it's not as good as the first one, but it's still uh, a great game. And then 3 comes out in Japan, and everyone's talking about how awesome it is and how it like this is the, the, the true sequel uh, to the first game. And it's, it's like, ah, I, I want to play it. When did three yeah, well, come out? Yeah, since two was super divergent. Sorry, go ahead. When did three come out? That's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I have to look that up. I, it's 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 sort of funny though because I played two and I remember not liking it as much because it sort of took on that we're going to compartmentalize the experience and military school it. Um, I I mean I only played it for like two hours and I barely remembered it. I just remember. I, I don't like it when games sort of try to do that, where they sort of try to quantify their experience into like, it's the Shin Megami Tensei 4 argument. I, I made this joke last oh night, God. but I Would can't stand it when you on put, game? like, well, no, like, even games I like to it. Fantasy Star 4, all the side quests are on a board. Final Fantasy 12, all the marks are on a board. Like, I don't want to go to a board and get a quest from a piece of text, and then I turn it into a piece of text, like... And like in that regard, it's I also it's a very wanna... inorganic way, I think. To yeah, to I prefer sort of a diegetic way. And I think Valkyria Chronicles One having such a you know like this really tight experience, and then going to two where it was like, you know, now you're going to take on missions as students, which isn't inherently bad, but uh, it just it changed the flow of the game. And I think I I sort of feel like that's part of the reason people didn't dig on it. Well, it that's wouldn't fair. be the first sequel that sort of flip things on their head. Certainly not. The, original. the important it, thing... Sorry, go ahead. Maybe it wasn't necessarily the right kind of flip that they wanted. Um, I don't know. I I recognize like all of the, the tropes that are present in uh, the main cast, which, I don't know, maybe didn't bother me as much because I'm used to them. Um, the, the military setting made perfect sense considering the first game. Um, I actually kind of liked it. It was kind of, um, it was sort of like Persona meets Valkyria Chronicles because you had you had classmates and you had to spend your time and you had to learn about them and do things with them and whatnot. But right. I think it's definitely also good of them that they didn't just try to repeat the same formula. Um, so, I mean, I definitely appreciate it from that standpoint. And certainly it has the gameplay aspect of it. I think they, didn't they specifically say that they were reacting to Persona when they added the sort of who you're going to spend time with thing? Oh, hmm. I would wouldn't be surprised. I think yeah. that, I think I remember them saying like you know we can't ignore Persona. Um, Why should you? It's amazing. Exactly. I still have a sealed copy of Valkyria Chronicles too. Oh shelf. wow! I, I feel That's really impressive. bad about. It. Yeah, I just well, I, I at least you bought it I'd, though. Yeah, I was like I gotta buy this and then I'll get to it when I finish the first game and that never happened but now I have a chance. <laughs> so, Indeed. To play think... it super pretty mode. Aside from the sort of plot that I actually re really liked what I played the plot in the first one. I got to, I think it was like chapter 12 or something, but uh, I don't remember how long it was. But what I really liked about the first one is sort of it, it gave you that 
sense of strategy that you get from sort of, you know, grid-based strategy RPGs, but then you sort of got that immediacy of moving around, getting fired at under cover and aiming and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I think it, it was a really great combination, sort of like how Shin Megami Tensei Devil Survivor combined strategy with the, the sort of tacticalness of a turn-based battle. Valkyria Chronicles sort of combined it with a different style of combat and was equally successful, I think. Um, you know, like that, that immediacy you get from it is just really great in that game. And like, you know, the mission I stopped playing at where you fight the giant tank. You know, I remember just the scale of that being so far beyond that they just did a great job as an experience making that seem significant because of, if you think like if you had like a Final Fantasy Tactics camera in that game, you know, you fight a giant tank, oh, it's a big unit. Whereas in that game, it's like, there's this tank bearing down here, you're going to die. Yeah, that See, tank, I love that mission. That, that was one of my favorite missions. That tank has gotten me like three times. And I, I, that's actually been the stopping point for me with that game, and so I'm going to push through it this time. I have promised myself that. There you go. I feel like that's yeah, where you I both need to beat it. We sort of came up with this last night on the, on the Dragon Age stream. Uh, I decided Rob doesn't like to die in games. Rob likes it when he can almost die and then win, and he gets angry when he gets killed. But there, but see, certain games can kill me, and it doesn't bother me at all. Like I'm, I'm sitting here playing The Binding of Isaac right now, and I don't mind when I die in this game. I'm like, whatever. When Dark Souls kills me, nine times out of ten, it's because I did something wrong. Um, Shin Megami Tensei Four, yeah, I was getting my ass kicked in that game a lot, and it's because my party build sucked. I don't like it when a game suddenly changes its mechanics on me, and I did feel like that tank battle, and then the thing that adds on top of it at the very end of that battle, that did piss me off a little bit, because it was like, well, my guys are coming. No, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing it again. I think one of my favorite things about that game is I love anime that isn't overly anime, if that makes sense. Like, you I, like anime that isn't shonen anime. Yeah, that's probably it. Like, I really enjoyed Attack on Titan. You know, I, as, I know I love Dragon Ball Z, but I, I love Record of Lotus War. I love Cowboy Bebop. I love anime that kind of treats its characters like real people. Um, and I really liked the characters in Valkyria Chronicles. Um, they're, they're just so clever, and they feel real. I mean, there, there's things like racism in the game, which is really cool. I mean, how many games can we talk about that actually deal with those kinds of issues? Not very many, and I think that is indeed one of the strengths of it. Um, that's sort of a story that rings a lot truer than I think most... No, well, no, I don't. That's, that's not necessarily accurate, but I, I think that game in particular does a great job of that. Well, they found gonna... a great way to personalize it with Isara and making you like her and root for her and work on her side and then seeing how the other characters in your party reacted and got to know her and got over things. It was a great way to frame uh, the issue, I think. Instead of just having it be like nameless people that you talk right. to as NPCs or whatnot. Because that happens sometimes where a game is like, Here's your backdrop. There's racism happening, and it's terrible. But you don't actually get the act- the the people involved with it. You don't actually see anybody impacted other than the faceless NPCs or what you read in the the lore books of the game. You know, so yeah, the relatability also, is what helped it a lot. I also like it when there's like a reason for the racism. Like you know, it, it's not an and, and that's not me advocating racism. But it's like it's not enough to say, oh, this racism is bad. Like I love District Nine when they talk about the prawns. And they're talking about how, like, they're taking jobs, they're taking resources. Like, we hate them. We want them to go away. These are refugees. Like, that's where the racism is coming from. It's not coming from, like, we're evil, nasty, awful people. The racism is coming from a very real place. And that makes it much more palpable. It also makes it far more disturbing. 
because then you kind of start to see the intricacies of why humans interact the way they do. I think Valkyria Chronicles really nailed that. I think it sort of relates and not to spoil anything, but that, that making it relatable, if not agreeable is like, look at breaking bad. Like the whole, the reason that show is so compelling or one of the reasons is because you sort of sympathize with Walter, even as he's doing horrible things. And that's supposed to make you uncomfortable. Right, exactly. That's the because Tony... you could, you could see how he got to that point. It's the Tony Soprano argument from uh, the Sopranos. It's like this is a terrible person. We don't like him, but we're we're almost rooting for him. Maybe that's a strong word for it, but we we sympathize in a way. We kind of understand the reason why this is happening. So I'm excited. Good on you guys, Sega. Keep keep that up. I yeah. Agree. Keep that up and don't let me down time. anymore. And now the next thing that. I'll be waiting for impatiently is Trails second chapter someday. <laughs> but at least that's announced and being worked on, so. Well, I think we've been beating around the bush enough. Is it time to talk about Dragon Age? Sure. The only time now is party time. Because I found out that you can romance Iron Bull if you're a dude, and that is metal as hell. That is awesome. I didn't even realize I, that. So I didn't you I, I, I was telling you guys this before the show, and Rob and I touched on it very briefly last night, but uh, I didn't use Iron Bull a whole lot in my playthrough for review, um, just because I I wanted. You don't like because you did Junior. I don't like I don't like Kunari. That's pretty much what it comes down wow, to. You, um, oh, racist. you racist! You racist! Not a racist! I need to explain explain it to me. I need to. <laughs> he really has he has three character. Kunari friends. He told me last night. That's not <laughs> at all. No, that is not what I said. That's what you my said. God. Um, <laughs> no, I just, you know, it's the same reason I don't pick different races when I make a character in games. I just, you know. Racist. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, can't, I can't be a racist. I used Blanca in my party in Shadow Hearts, okay? He's not human. Oh, whatever. So Dragon Age Inquisition, you guys saw it uh, last night on our live stream, and I think we uh, we really seem to like it quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, you know, what I was getting to is, and that's sort of a good way to bring into it, uh, people know Bioware for their great characters, among other things. Um, and Iron Bull is a great character. Like, I definitely followed along with his dialogue and stuff, um, just because every character is so interesting and diverse. Um, you know, it's not a situation like in Mass Effect 2 where it's like, yeah, I have J- Jacob and Miranda who are... Just there. I mean, I, you know, I know people like those characters, but I sort of felt like next to the rest of the cast, Jacob and Miranda were sort of not quite as interesting. Um, and there's always that character in a Bioware game that you sort of don't care about. And I feel like this game, at least for me, I found everybody very interesting. And that's sort of because the writing in Dragon Age 3, and that's, we didn't talk a whole lot about that last night in the stream. That's why I wanted to sort of open up with that, is that this is, you know, I think this is the best job Bioware has done combining a narrative in terms of the overarching storyline with character stories that are interestingly tied into that narrative and also have their own things going on. You know, like Cassandra, the character people know from the second game, you know, at first she doesn't seem like she'd be an interesting character because she's kind of an architect. She's like the pious Templar or uh, not the pious Templar. She's a seeker, but you know, she worked for the Chantry, you know, an arm of the Chantry and sort of like, you know, she was faithful. That was her thing in Dragon Age 2. But in this, it's sort of like, you know, there's a there's a particular lo- conversation she has early in the game where someone's like, you know, you your duty is to the Chantry. She's like, no, my duty is to the principles on which the Chantry is founded. And that sort of forms the foundation of her character arc in that she's like questioning, like, did I make the right choices? Am I like betraying my faith? And that's I'm not a person of faith, but that's an interesting story. And the, every character has a sort of interesting 
arc that they go through that really ties into the, it's not like I'm just with you because I like, I'm good at shooting people. Uh, you know, they all have reasons to be there that are interesting and organic. Um, and the writing as a whole, just, there's a lot of diversity in the game. Like the game sort of touches, there's like a transgender character or several, there's like, you know, characters with homosexual romances. There's, you know, all kinds of stuff touched upon. It's, it's, the scope of the game extends beyond just the fact that it has a gazillion areas or, you know, giant areas and tons of stuff to do. The writing and the scope of the world are also very, very large and very nuanced and well done. I didn't realize there were transgender characters. I actually hadn't seen that in the game yet. Uh, well, so I, your, your playable party, no, but like within the, the story, you run across like different characters and so, you'll see, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's, the game is very good at incorporating diversity without being heavy handed about it. You know, we are a long way from enchanted arms and Makoto. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He's something. Are like, you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Is that like, the, is that to be where my Arctic blast guy or am I thinking? No, that's that's <laughs> he's, a, he's a character in enchanted arms who is a, he's like an ice mage. He uses a saxophone or I don't remember what his element is, but he casts <laughs> okay. spells using a saxophone. And that's his his quote when he does a spell. Are you ready for this? <sighs> so Caitlin, yeah, that was a rough game. So Caitlin, yeah. you've had a chance to play some Dragon Age, correct? Uh, yes, because Stephen was gracious enough to let me steal it from him for a couple <laughs> of hours. And what do you Came think over of it? And so- sat at the computer. And what do you think of it so far? Um, I think that I can't wait to jump <laughs> into it on my own because. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I've had like maybe f- six or so hours, I think, total with the game, and barely scratched the surface. And but everything that I've seen, uh, I would agree pretty much one hundred percent with Stephen uh, on writing, on characters, on combat, on uh, graphics. And I mean, I basically I spent most of my time in the hinterlands doing side quests and uh, not really. <laughs> getting too much of the main plot outside of unlocking a few characters. And I never once felt like this is busy work or these are, I didn't even really felt like these are side quests. I was compelled to just keep exploring that one massive area out of several massive areas. And, and I, I think that's going to be a really common story, Caitlin. Cause I mean, my review, literally I had like 25, 30 hours and I was like, Oh God, I need to leave the hinterlands. <laughs> um, but I don't no, want to okay. leave the hinterlands. That's that's what's so amazing about how they designed these massive and I know they used the word Skyrim and and but in a good way uh, esque uh, sized areas is that they're interesting and detailed enough that you feel compelled to keep exploring them in an organic way. Uh, it, you never really feel like oh I have to get like a hundred percent map completion. It's more like, oh, well, there might be this area over here with like this cult that thinks that the rifts are their new god, or maybe I have to go kill a bunch of rams because people are starving, or find medicine for this this poor woman. It's that kind of exploration that really drives you in these areas, and I think they kind of reach that magical point between gameplay and story within the exploration. Yeah, like those those side quests, like even the RAM one, which, you know, that 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 is sort of an MMORPG, like, you know, we need 10 RAM stakes, basically. Um, 
you know, those are sort of the smaller tasks that make up a lot of the bigger tasks. And like, it's like, you know, it makes sense. We need food here because this place is full of refugees because the mage and Templar war is, you know, driving people out and out of their homes. Um, so like even the, those side quests that seem like they would be sort of asinine are tied into creating the sense of the main story being present everywhere. Um, and yeah, like they just, it continues to do that. And that's why sort of I'm playing through now again, because I want to have that chance to explore every area and like get all those little stories in there. Um, you know, the, the comparison to Skyrim will of course come up because Skyrim is the latest big RPG. Um, but you know, we sort of talk, I talk, I mentioned this in my review. We discussed it last night, Rob, I think, uh, a better comparison for this game is Xenoblade, um, in terms of what the areas are like. Um, it's sort of like the dark souls health system where, you know, as you make forays out into these giant zones, you find camps and the camps function like dark souls and that, you know, it recharges your healing potions and your character's health, which is no longer recharging after combat. Um, but the size and the scope of the areas is more Xenoblade where like it's, it's not Skyrim size, but it's a big giant area full of interesting things as opposed to here's a ton of space with some randomly generated ruins and some randomly generated side quests. Yeah. I think it's it's sort of like the perfect uh, balance between having interesting things to do and having that space be filled with those interesting, interesting things to do and then having too much space. Because, I mean, Skyrim is fun when you start off and you're like, oh, look at all these interesting places I can go. And then you realize, like you said, it's it's basically one thing after another and you kind it's, of lose interest over it's after very a while. homogenous. Yeah. Like, it's sort of everything, like, going to one dungeon sort of starts feeling like you're going to all the dungeons. Yeah. And, and here, and I never got, even, I mean, granted, only, like, six or so hours, but I never got the feeling like that with Dragon Age. Uh, every place felt like it was its own special, unique place, and uh, I just want to explore more of it. I need to explore more. Yeah. Uh, to that To that end, basically what I would say about the areas is that even Xenoblade, to an extent, has some areas that are wide open spaces. Not, not you know, it's on the Wii, so it's a totally different gen hardware generation. But this game does not have, this is a wide open space with nothing going on in it. Like, you know, you walk up some hills and it's very irregular terrain and there'll be paths through the rocks that lead into, you know, different places. It sort of feels like a believable fantasy place. Um, and I just, I can't give that enough credit. It's really fantastic. Your enthusiasm is very dangerous because I am so broke and Dude, so in the middle of games right hey, now. The more this game I play, would be a great Derek. use of your money because you'll yes. get like a hundred gajillion hours out of it. The more out I play it, Derek, the more I think you're gonna love it. Yeah, I mean, I I watched you guys play the stream for a little bit, and uh, it looks it looks really really good. I really like the mix of action based combat and tactical stuff. So it seems like they they did a really good job of incorporating the 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 tactical nature of Dragon Age Origins and then the, the flashiness of 2 without dumbing it down too much. So, yeah, it, it looks like a beautiful world. And I love exploring worlds is one of the things that I like to do most in, in games. Um, that's why even even in games that are, are linear, I really enjoy discovering a world and, and getting into the lore and finding new locations that are unique, which is, to, not to beat a dead horse, but a, a big reason of why I like Xenoblade is because it has the whole in-game achievement system kind of thing where it's like oh we're going to reward you although not kind of paltry rewards but they reward you for discovering cool unique locations uh -huh. so exploring is super fun and and i love games that look that have these immersive beautiful worlds that you can explore that don't feel 
empty and dead because that's when I played Skyrim. That's kind of what that's how I felt. I, just, I, I, I didn't think really get to it just it didn't it didn't really click with me. And Dragon Age looks like it's going to a lot more. To that empty and dead thing too. I agree. I think that that was the what I was concerned with was that these would just feel like giant three D playgrounds where it's just like go and find five towers, jump off of them, go and find 10 haystacks. Like I, I don't like doing those things for the sake of just doing them. Yes. I'm making fun of Assassin's Creed. I hate that series. Um, and you know, in terms of liking those achievements that you get for exploring in Xenoblade, they have the same, like literally almost the same thing in this, you know, there's like find you know, if you, if you discover like this waterfall, you'll get like a codex entry and to, to the point where you can even get perks for your inquisition where it's like every time you find a, a natural environment formation, you'll get more bonus XP or, you know, you'll get dialogue options related to the places you found. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty fantastic game. I'm, I was really blown away by it. It definitely is more Xenoblade. I would say than Skyrim. It, it has some procedurally generated quests i mean some of this you know find this thing but they almost always lead you to doing far more interesting things in the world and I, that, I, that's one of the best things i can say about it just because one of our listeners recently corrected me on that uh that's not procedurally generated that would be like randomly oh no, you're, right, uh, you're right you're right they're like those it, it has those like checklisty type things where it's like you know discover all all 21 can or all 10 camps here you know that kind of stuff but that's sort of a, you know, like you said, it's sort of like a, a, a goal that's there as you're doing other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As opposed to like, the focus of the experience. Yeah, like I would I would highlight something on the map or a quest that I wanted to go to and I would start heading off that way. And I would invariably get distracted by something, a quest or an enemy or a rift or something I would find along the way. And then, you know, before I know it, I'm like on the opposite end of the map because I've been not because I've just been like. Like, oh, I'm going to go the opposite way I was going. But, like, there are things, interesting things, drawing me in those directions. Yeah, like, it's 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 a much less cynical game than I think you could call Dragon Age 2. Because that was sort of, you know, rushed out. Because, uh, you know, maybe I'm just wing- I'm pulling this out of my butt. But, you know, that was a game that EA was like, well, we got this franchise, Dragon Age, make a title. All right, it's done. Well, there were also a lot of reports that that game was originally going to be an expansion pack for Origins, and then it didn't. I mean, I don't know how much of that stuff was true, but I think they got the punchy combat right in Dragon Age 2, and now they've upped the punchy combat with really great exploration and world building. And I I think Dragon Age does a really good job of taking the fantasy genre, which, Stephen, you've said before, you're not a big fan of of fantasy sometimes. You know, it has to be very interesting for you to get into. I think Yeah, I'm not looking for the 19th version of the elves, basically. Right, and I think that they start out pretty generic with their elves, dwarves, kunari type thing, but then the politics of the world, they they do really go for that song of ice and fire feel of there's multiple factions, they have multiple reasons for existing. It's not just, oh, let's go out and kill the big bat. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think that's, they, you know, I like the first Dragon Age, you know, I don't necessarily like it as much as people do, but I recognize why people do. Um, and I like Dragon Age 2 a lot. And I've always thought they had a lot of interesting lore. Like the Fade is a really cool concept and like the Golden City at the center of the Fade is a cool concept. Um, And I think that they've slowly but surely done a great job of fleshing that out into this interesting world that feels very believable. Mm -hmm. It's pretty impressive. I think it might be my game of the year. I just know know it's my game of the year. It's (laughs) It's up there for me. I'm saying it right now. Unless Persona Q somehow manages to be like better, which... It'll be awesome, but at this at right now, I'm like, how is it even possible that Endon could beat this? 
Shovel Knight, guys. Shovel Knight. I still need to play that. Still it's a fun game. Like that that game. Rhythm, but Theater Rhythm, I think, uh, I don't know if I can give to my game of the year to just because it is more of something that I've already played, as awesome as it may be. So I think and, my game of the year is tied between this or Curtain Call. I may actually just, you know, flip a coin. <laughs> I might just <laughs> cop out and say these are both number one. Man, I, I got to get this done. I think, I don't know, I'm going to have to pull some strings and do something. Do a little bit of reading online, though, Derek, because the game is not friendly for newcomers. Newcomers, If you don't know what a Chantry is versus well, a Seeker, you might get a little confused. Well, I want to do the... You might, um, you might not be reading the Codex, too. The Codex yeah. does a great job explaining Oh, no, it does, stuff. but it, it takes some work, I would say, on the part of the player. That's not a bad thing. Well, there's isn't there a tool to help you make, to, it's basically to work in decisions from the past two games, kind of like the Mass Effect comic? Gen- it's, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's like better. the comic, only even better. It's very elaborate. So basically what it will do is it will show you a movie of one and two and ask you to make the major decisions, and then once you're done, it'll say, here's like 500 choices that were made in the games. How do you want them to play out? Okay. Yeah, it I will, like the it, idea it, it, it an interactive primer. Yeah, yeah. Much better than just like, oh, here's like here are the decisions that you made. Yeah. So, and, and rather than just toggling things, I appreciate that it works through them bit by bit. I'll have to do yeah. that. I think I might do that regardless, and then see what happens and see. I mean, I'm sure that will only fuel my hype, and then I'll get into it. Give it one some of time. Us. One of us. One of us. Iron Bull. That's all I'm saying. I'm probably going to use Iron Bull a lot more in this playthrough. I'm loving him. He, this he's is a lot this of fun. is seriously though one of those games where you want to use everybody because they're all so interesting. Mm, yeah. I would agree with that. I've really wanted to use everybody, and ev- and everybody just has really cool stuff going on. Ah, yep. <sighs> we could talk about Dragon Age all day, but we probably shouldn't. <laughs> Stop us now. Oh. I'm, I'm I'm playing it right now and loving it. Oh, golly. All uh, right, so what else do we have to talk about here? What else do we uh, have to talk about? I think I have uh, Freedom Wars, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, you've been playing that? Um, not as much as I would like. I got distracted by something called Dragon Age, but uh, Never yes. Never heard of that. <laughs> Perfectly understandable. We should talk about um, So Freedom Wars was kind of like on my radar and then off my radar and then like rocketed back to on my radar right before it was released. All right. And All it's right, Britney Spears. Yeah. <laughs> on my radar. No, I'm the only one here that's going to get a Britney Spears reference. She has a song called radar and get out of here. But if I get out, I can't talk about the game. Fine. Sorry. Jesus. Go ahead. So radar's um, a great dog's name. Oh man. Uh, also. Okay. Now I didn't get that one. What's that from? No, I just think radar would be a cute dog's name. Oh, okay. Anyway, Caitlin, sorry. Okay, so uh, Freedom Wars uh, has a really interesting concept. Um, you are playing, like, I guess sometime in a post-apocalyptic future where mankind is just stripped Earth of all, almost all of its resources, and there's not enough uh, resources to keep going. So overpopulation is a problem, and people are essentially found uh, guilty of existing because they're taking up like air and food and whatnot just by living. So basically you are, you're thrown into jail and found guilty at birth and you have like a huge amount of years, uh, like million year sentences that you have to work off by 
going on missions and donating to the greater good. The greater Humanities, good. the greater good, yeah. Humanities basically humbled or um, grouped into these like gigantic uh, city states called panopticons that are like the major cities around the world. And everyone's trying to like steal other panopticons' resources. Like, Chicago for people. life. Chicago, yes, because there was no St. Louis. Um, so, like, the civilians who have, like, important skills are valuable resources and other panopticons are trying to steal them because, I don't know, maybe they can build them other technology or make their lives easier. And so your character, uh, through circumstances that are kind of mysterious, ends up losing his or her memory, and you get slapped with a huge fine because... They've invested a lot of resources into you to make you a good fighter for them. And you are recklessly losing your memories, and that's a huge offense. So, so not only are you, am, you know, amnesiac, but you have to try and figure out what's going on in this world and how to reduce your million-year sentence. And it's a really interesting, very oppressive kind of setup um, because you learn early on that you don't really have a lot of rights. You start off in a cell, and if you try to lie down and sleep, that's against the rules because you haven't earned an entitlement that lets you do that. Or if you want wow. to talk to people outside of your cell without getting an entitlement first, that's against the rules. And every time you do something you can't, you get more years on your sentence. So it becomes kind of a balancing act between doing missions which reduce your sentence, donating uh, items you either can't use or that like you don't have the right to, to hold, and if you hold on to them, you get more years on, um, add to your sentence. Uh, so, it, I mean, that's just that, the, that whole setup, uh, I think, is very interesting and not something that I've seen in a lot of games. Yeah, uh, I, so you let me play the intro, and I actually, I played... I, Probably left for like 45 minutes. And I found that that actually, that setup was probably the most interesting part for me early on because I didn't get a chance to do too many missions. Um, but I liked that sort of dystopian setup of like, you know, we're not, resources are so scarce that we're not even going to literally invest the resources to let you, you know, eat in this place or every resource is like considered an entitlement because I, I don't necessarily think that's believable, but I could see the chain of logic that leads to that being the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's kind of a slow burn, the story. I'm not actually that very far myself. Uh, I've heard that it, it, it picks up, um, somewhere around the halfway point. Um, so, and it's not necessarily, it's, it's not the best presentation. I would say uh, a lot of it is just, um, you know, text, uh, walking through texts, um, there are some really beautiful cuts. I think the the art style is also another strong point of the game. It's got a beautiful art design to it, um, particularly yeah, the, the cut scenes are just really gorgeous on the Vita screen. And um, there's a I, I love the customization in this game. You can you you design your character from the beginning, and he can he can be a he or a she. You can uh, change with their body type and their facial facial features and their voice and hair and whatnot. 
And you unlock, as you go on, you unlock more clothing options and color palettes. And I think there's supposed to be free DLC that like adds in more hairstyles and things like that. And you can change this at pretty much at any point after you've first created your character. You never feel locked into it. So like if you start off as a girl with like purple hair and decide one day, oh, maybe I want to, you know, be a guy, you can do that um, whenever you want to. You also get. Only real life was that easy. I know, right? You also have um, an AI-controlled uh, partner called an accessory. They're basically like a, a robot that watches you, and you know, whenever you break the rules, they're the ones being like, "Hey, you've broken the rules. Here's an extra ten years to your sentence." Thanks, you accessory. Can, God. Yeah, and you can customize them too. Um, Completely, and you know when you get more. It sounds options. a lot like the the retainer from uh, fourteen from Final Fantasy fourteen. Yes, only this these things these accessories will actually go out into combat with you, and you can change their their strategies. You can order them around. Uh, it's a really interesting setup um, because the game can be played entirely uh, single player, but it has a really strong multiplayer focus as well. And I got to play a little bit with that. Uh, it was. A little bit hard to get into a match, probably because everyone was. This is right after it came out, so everyone was so busy uh, playing. But it was fun and very, very frantic, but in a fun kind of way. Because um, you have, it's like, it's usually a f- group of four people and their accessories. So there's like, at any one time, you're going to have eight people, four real and four AI controlled, doing all sorts of things, and. Uh, the really the the fun missions are the ones where you're fighting these giant machines, uh, which I haven't really gotten far enough in the story to learn if there's anything more sinister going on with them. But it's kind of uh, it's been described as kind of like Attack on Titan esque, and it does really feel that way because you're these are towering monsters, and you use grapples. Uh, they're called thorns to either trip them up and make them fall down or to jump up onto them and cut away at their, at their different uh, body parts or try to free people that are captured. That uh, was actually what I thought was one of the coolest parts. Cause it, it's sort of like a soul sacrifice monster hunter type game where like, you know, at least th- those particular missions with the big monsters. Mm-hmm. And I thought the, the thorn grappling hook was a clearly, you know, somebody watched attack on Titan was like, it would be cool to have a game where this, you get to do this. Um, but like, I really liked that. I thought the thorn was a cool mechanic. Cause it's like, you know, you can grapple up to a guy and then like chainsaw his arm off. Yeah. Steven, yeah. You, you forgot our rule. Whenever you say that game's name, you have to say it in a different way. Derek has to say it that way. Oh, I'm sorry. Is Derek soul paying attention? Sacrifice. There it is. So whenever you're playing soul sacrifice. sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we have too much fun on this show. Do we though? Man. It's a riot. I find it fun. Laugh riots. So Freedom Wars. Sounds <laughs> kind of cool. I'm sorry I didn't mean to derail us that completely. We all kind of lost it for a minute. I'm sorry. I apologize. We, we just got sidetracked with your awesome singing voice there, Derek. Oh. When I was singing before the show? Because that <laughs> happened. Anything I else? Sing- to- <laughs> we are completely <laughs> gone like- right now. <laughs> yeah. 
Are we all tired? Like, what's going on here? I, I think we're all tired, so let's try to regain here a little bit. Anything else to say about um, Freedom Wars? I've pretty much gone through my my list of things. Um, I mean, I've I I really like it. I I I don't know when I'll have time to play it more of it because with Dragon Age coming out next week, uh, yeah, that. Um, Other games but, are going to have a rough time. But it's definitely an interesting play, and I would recommend it, um, especially if you're looking for RPGs on Vita. Yes, you can also get Tales of Hearts R because that came out this week. Oh, I want that so bad. There's another I game thought. that I don't have time to play. So, Actually, yeah. I uh, I did play. I I think I talked about it on the show briefly, but I beat the Japanese version of that. Um, and it's you know it's not going to set the world on fire as Tales games lately sort of don't, but it's also a very solid RPG that's very you know it's the graphics are basic, but it's colorful and attractive and looks great on the Vita screen, and the combat is rad. It's you know it's a full blown Tales game on Vita, so. If that sounds like your jam, you probably want to grab it. And yeah. I definitely want to play it in English. Though what I found interesting about it is that, you know, they sort of went budget on the localization, which, you know, better better one than none. But uh, they didn't dub it over in English. It's just English text over the Japanese voices, which is sort of interesting because, like, they changed the main character. His name is Shing yeah. Meteorite in hilarious. Japanese. Now oh, he's poor, uh, which is sort of it, – it's sort of an attempt to recreate the sort of sense that a Japanese would get from the name Shing – um, but, uh, you know, it creates this weird dissonance when people are like saying his Japanese name to him, but the dialogue clearly says something else. Yeah. Like that, that's actually happened a ton. I've played the game for maybe two hours and that's, that's happened so much. Like the, like in the intro cutscene, there's the witch that's chasing them. And the only thing she says repeatedly is Mitsuketa, which is like found you, like got you. And they have this long Every time she says it, they have a different subtitle, and it's like a long sentence. She's like, worms should crawl through the mud where, where they belong. And it's like, she, she definitely didn't say that. So it's um, it's very jarring, and I think that sort of brings up a really interesting discussion. I'm nerding out here. This is my field. Um, that I like because, you know, the original Japanese, it's just, yeah, like you said, it's Mitsukita, Mitsukita, I remember that. And, like, you know, in Japanese sort of the... You know, not to make broad claims, but in in Japanese, it's not quite as noticeable when a word is like rep like a word gets repeated a lot more often. You know, whereas if you write something where you're you know and you're saying a word a lot, like the game was fun, and then I played the game as the game went along, and the game was played, and the game was good. You know, if you if you said something similar in Japanese, it wouldn't sound quite as odd as it does to us. So, I I'm actually of the camp that I think localizations can be a chance to sort of have a lot of fun and create some additional flavor. Oh, I agree with that completely. I just think that the fact that it's not dubbed makes that really jarring and strange. Oh yeah, no, it's like, definitely weird. If they weird. had dubbed it with, with the new dialogue, then then that would be fine because I'm all for flavorful localization. Like dry localization is what has killed a lot of potentially good games. And Absolutely. And I also, I, it can also go too, too far to an extent, like working designs translations where always pretty contentious <laughs> because they would they you know they'd fill them with 90s pop culture references and all kinds Gosh. of craziness which was really entertaining at the time but i think that kind of thing ages poorly and it yeah, also I agree. away from the original spirit of the game quite a bit but um it, it, there's a duality there because i like some of the stuff that i've that i've read so far in tales of hearts are like the uh one of the characters hisui he's the uh, heroine's older brother he's said a couple of lines that are nothing like, well, they, they have the same general idea, I guess, in Japanese. And the English lines that they that they wrote for, or localized are, like, completely different. 
they'll say, I don't, I don't even remember anything, anything like that, but he'll use a lot of alliteration or English idioms and stuff like that, which is fine. It's just, it's weird. Like you said that they want the budget route and we're like, Oh, let's, let's bring the Japanese voices over, but let's write it completely differently in English. I don't know. And it's, it's especially noticeable to, to me after having studied Japanese for several years. And, and I'm sure you as well. And Caitlin. So <laughs> it's, oh, I'll it's, just be the uh, one left out. Okay. That's yeah, fine. you are. That's, that's fine. You need to learn Japanese, Rob. Uh, it's awesome. Go talk guys, about Newton's third law, Rob. Yeah. You guys need to learn physics. How about that? I took AP physics in high school. There you if go. we learn physics, will you learn Japanese? Did you take baby physics or did you take calculus based physics? I took AP physics. Uh, again, did you take baby physics? Because there's baby physics, uh, AP calc physics. Well, the physics I took was the teacher's not qualified. So here's a list of 25 labs. Complete them over the semester. There's no lecture. Uh, uh, we, all, we, all, we all failed the AP exam. Physics for babbies. Uh, how, do, how do I stop babby? <laughs> Hello, doggy. Babby, please. So do we have any other games to talk about or should we start talking about news? Well, I played Fantasy Life, but I cool. haven't played it a ton. I know we were going to mention it, but Fantasy Life is really cool. It it uh, I forgot that it was coming out when it was because it was a game that I it was announced several years ago. And it's one of those games that I always associated with the early days of the 3DS. And I kind of wrote it off and it finally came out. So it's a life simulation kind of, I'd, I'd describe it, the closest thing I can think of is as a mix between Animal Crossing and Dragon Quest, maybe. It's got a, a, a vibrant, colorful, cartoony world to explore. And you can take up one of, I think, 12 different lives or professions, classes, basically. And there are combat classes, and there are combat classes like a paladin and a mercenary, and then crafting classes like a carpenter and gathering classes like woodcutter or um, miner. Mm. So it's it plays a little bit like I've heard it described as an offline Final Fantasy 14 in terms of crafting and gathering and I think that's just a comparison that's being made because of the time that it was released. But uh, it's a very open-ended game. It has a story that it has a definite story that you can follow and you can quote unquote beat that story and everything. There there's an ending and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, you can go about exploring this world any way you want. So I thought it would be interesting to take a different approach. And I started it as a, a woodcutter because I was like, all right, well, this game has a story, but I'm going to try to chop wood. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm going to go try doing gallery type stuff first and see what happens. And it works f- just fine. Like it's not one of those games where they pretend to have all these options. And then they're like, surprise, you actually have to be a combat class to get through it because that's actually something that the original version of Final Fantasy 14 suffered from. Because they let you start as any class. And I think Realm Reborn does too. But um, And Realm Reborn doesn't pretend like you can get through the main story by being a gatherer or crafter. They're like, yeah, you have to at some point hit you, somebody in the face. Right. Only so, in your dreams. Yes. So in original 14, they, they were like, oh yeah, you can totally just, you can be a crafter and that can be the whole game experience for you. And that wasn't the case. It was just false. So Fantasy Life actually does that. And the story has enemies that you have to fight as you go through it, but I'm a woodcutter and I still beat the first boss as a woodcutter. Like it didn't, it didn't matter. I was weaker, but I was able to do it. So, and it was kind of hilarious actually. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a really flavorful game. It's got the level five localization thing going for it where the text has a ton of jokes and it's super punny. There are like puns everywhere. Um, 
accented characters and I, I I think it's actually funny. I've I've enjoyed a lot of the dialogue that I've read and I've seen some screenshots popping up on Twitter and Tumblr and places with especially funny pieces of dialogue that I appreciate a lot. So it's a uh, it's it's really relaxing too and I'm surprised at how well it's uh meshed with me because I thought I might lose interest in it kind of quickly. Um I've heard some people mention that this may be kind of the remnants of True Fantasy Live Online, if you remember that for the original Xbox. It was a an MMO that was being planned, and I remember seeing it in magazines and being super hyped up for it. it I wanted that game so bad. I remember I seeing I remember seeing trailers for that on Cinemascape on G4. You guys oh, remember man. that? Yep. Oh, like yep. I remember just thinking the wow. art style in that game looked amazing. I feel old now. Oh god, I'm gonna be 30 in a month. Oh dear God! Yeah, it's over for you, Rob. Sorry. No. But yeah, this. Uh, I've heard that this this is kind of the combination of the remnants of True Fantasy Live Online, and then maybe the original ideas that they had for Dragon Quest Nine. I don't know how true that is. That just that may just be a happy coincidence of like, oh, I wonder if that's what happened. But uh, it's a level five game, so it wouldn't really surprise me since those are both level five. They worked on Dragon Quest Nine, didn't they? Or am I thinking of something else? Oh didn't no, they? level five did. Did they? Um, I think I because they they definitely did eight. Did they? Yeah, stay? no, they did nine. Level five did nine. I'm grabbing the box. I like that game. He's double checking. I don't see I level think... five on the box. I'm I'm almost positive, but I am prone to be wrong on occasion. Apparently about uh Steven's, Apparently about Steven's choice in hair color and uh, style for Dragon Age characters, but you know that character looks fantastic. Well, they definitely I... worked on yeah. But anyway, so level five is, um, I think level five recently has been, I think some people have found them to be hit or miss with the, uh, the guild titles. Those have been up and down like Crimson Shroud. I think all of us really like a lot. And I've heard that, that like weapon shop de Omase was so, so, but I think they always do good writing and the, like the latent games are an example of that. I, I think that they're always very charming and they cater to a different sort of audience that I would consider myself a part of, so I'm I'm glad that they continue to exist and do their thing, and and I like I like the game a lot. I just I'm seriously in the middle of something like eight or nine games right now, and I just I have no time. Don't it's, start Dragon Age. Well, Dragon Age is no. like everything I You're was playing dad. is like canceled. Do start Dragon Age and put everything else aside because Dragon Age is all that matters. The the thirty seconds a day I have to play games right now, or when I'm podcasting. Uh, yeah. Is Dragon Age, so I'll be done in like ten years. I think Jackie's yeah, well, anyway. gonna get mad at me if I try to play Dragon Age tonight. I think, well, I don't know. You gotta weigh that risk versus reward. It's like combat in Dark Souls, Rob. <laughs> at least it's not combat in uh, Lords of the Fallen. Uh, oh, oh, oh boy! All right, so Fantasy Life, good game. Go play it. It's cool. I think Stephen, I, I think you in particular would like it, and Caitlin, I think you would too. But um, Rob, eh, meh. <laughs> Uh, I Rob, like games. Rob, Rob would hate it. Rob doesn't like games like that. See, we're the cool kids, and then there's he, Rob. He doesn't like games where joy is the main the main I think function. I think it's just a little bit too. It'll be too meandering for you, Rob. Like too whimsical, and it's a, it's pretty cutesy. I'll I'm be honest. Like, do you like whimsy. Animal Crossing? I, I, you know, I've actually never gotten into Animal Crossing, but I okay. like whimsy. It's Stephen's the one that doesn't and, like whimsy. But I think it's I a like some kinds of whimsy. Because like Wind Waker. It, like Animal Crossing is a game where you play yes. and you really aren't accomplishing anything other than getting items for your house and being amused by the various puns that villagers make. Like, 
And that's right. So, Stephen, you you get it. You're giggling because it's hilarious. So if you like that, you'd like fantasy life. But And I would like it because I like puns. Okay, good. Well, that means you're an objectively good human being. Even Yay! though we had our argument this morning, it was a little rough <sighs> there. Then come on. We were talking about uh, East and she mentioned that she had. Do you mention that you beat Salsetta, right? Yeah, last night, actually. Yeah, which, which should show awesome. you how long it takes me to finish games no, nowadays. No, it's okay. You did it. I'm giving you a high five. Bam. <laughs> You're awesome. But she was mentioning that Frida's is a cool character, and I agree. She's like a Frida's favorite. I love Frida's. Yeah, no, shut up. Frida's are bad for you. No, they're amazing, and you should eat more of them. Okay. I'm bringing Fritos a bag. are like fried husks. I am bringing a giant bag <laughs> of like Rob's to E3. Rob is a fried husk after playing Lords of the Fallen. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of true. Well, anyway, to finish out the story that's not that interesting in the first place, we were arguing, faux arguing about whether uh, Durin is better than Dogie, and I'm Team Dogie. Hello, Dogie. And I'm, I'm Team, team Dogie. Good. Well, g- okay, see, Steven's on my side. But that's only because I've played a Yeez game that has has Dogie in it, so hi Dogie. And, uh, hi Dogie. Too. Plus that that works with his name. We have we have a new editor, Monsoon Mike, and uh, his name is Mike Solosi. Goes by Monsoon. Hi Monsoon, and uh, he's also on Team Dogie, so he wins my instant approval. Meanwhile, I just somehow managed to barely still stay your friend despite our, <laughs> our disagreement. Right? I mean, it's pretty. I never said I don't like Dogie. And what's I just, next? You're gonna say like, Iron Bull sucks? Like, oh, I I, I I actually haven't met him. I never got to him. Okay, when he's I was pretty playing. awesome. I won't yeah. suffer injustice against a character I know nothing about. Caitlin, <gasps> come on. Sorry, I just gasped wow. because I almost got attacked by a Druffalo called Druffy, who's like level fourteen. <laughs> cool story. Oh boy. <laughs> I feel like I'm being extra dry, and you're not picking up on it. You're like, "Wow, what a jerk!" No, 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 no. we're just tired. I, I, I know I'm tired from the Twitch stream last night, and I did want to say to the listeners, like, let us know if you want more of that, and if there's any like requests for games. I swear to God, the first person that says Shadow Hearts, I'm gonna cane you. Um, Someone said Shadow Hearts. I, I did not see it in the chat. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, I, I actually, it. I actually brought it up, and others said it. The fact that you haven't played Shadow Hearts two makes you a bad person. Uh, I hate to agree with and that. The best part it, and the best part is that it's easy, so you won't get angry at it and say that the game wow. is pissing you off at the end. I'm playing Dragon Age on hard. <laughs> Thank you very much. You are such an asshole. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I'm trying to anticipate potential issues you might have with it, and oh, getting my. killed will not be one of them. Wow. You, you are a dick. <laughs> you are actually a dick. Actually is doge. All right, let's let's move on to news. I I don't like Steven anymore. He's not my friend anymore. Story of my life. You're not my friend. Uh-oh, epic podcast breakup. I'm so sad right now. We're never ever getting back together. Uh, I will sing that. You better watch out. <laughs> no, I won't actually. I just know the chorus, but all right, so, what, what kind of exciting stuff is going on, guys? Do you uh, feel any excitement for Majora's Mask 3D? I think I do. Uh, I was actually very excited. I've never played Majora's Mask. Well, that's going to be an interesting experience for you, because I feel like you're going to get really mad and then complain about it. So, for me, I've never played Majora's Mask, and we all know how I feel about Ocarina of Time. Um, but I've always heard how weird Majora's Mask is. Um and, you know, I've sort of heard that it's also the hipster Ocarina of Time that people are like, it's so much better because it's weird. And 
I don't have any opinion on that, but I'm definitely going to play it. I thought the trailer was terrible. Um, not graphically, but I just thought they picked all of the least interesting things to show. Like, they didn't show any gameplay. They just showed, like, a bunch of very low-key cutscenes. But, again, maybe that's because I that game is... They they were showing a lot of things that would immediately jump out to longtime fans of it because I recognized all of that. I was like, oh, that's that thing. Oh, Yeah, that, that's kind of that. what I figured they were doing. Like, so, playing up the nostalgia a little bit, which isn't yeah. a bad thing. I mean, they're definitely playing to their base by releasing it in the first place. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, they they said they've been working on it since Ocarina of Time. I mean, we we sort of knew that, you know, linked between Worlds had Majora's Mask in the uh in in Link's house. And, you know, I, I think it was sort of just a matter of time. Kinda like how I think it's just a matter of time before we get Twilight Princess HD. Um Oh yeah. I'd and, be okay uh, with that. No, I actually would too. I'd probably want to finish it this time. Um I, I told I was talking to my roommate about it, about how far I made it, and uh turns out I made it to this the dungeon right before the last dungeon, so I stopped a little too soon. Oh yeah, um, that dungeon is pretty weak. So I I totally understand why you were probably done with it. That well, also I just sort of note. something else. You know, I probably started playing something else. Life happened. Life. On a related on a related Zelda note, uh, I've in the since the last time we podcasted, we have a Wii U in the in the apartment now and uh, Smash. But uh, I finally obtained Wind Waker HD, and it's Wind Waker's the best Zelda. Everybody who disagrees, wrong. Best 3D Zelda. It's very very good. Gorgeous. It's very good. It's gorgeous, charming. It has the derpiest Link in the entire series, and I, I think that's why he's my favorite. Like he's such a doofus. Like and like when when you get a heart piece and he just spazzes out, he's like, ah, "I'm so excited!" Like how can you not like that Link? He is a little derpy. I I, I guess I like that. But he has like that character arc because he becomes more of like you know a hero as the game goes along. Like it's cool development for a Link. Link doesn't usually get that sort of thing. No, it's true, and I, I think that that was actually one of the cool things about that game, and making the art design look that cool went a long way toward making him feel like a real character. I think more so than anything else that they've tried to do with Link in recent years. You know, he just he just hasn't looked that good. Yeah, well, I think it's part partially how expressive it is, and how many, sh- you know, there's a lot of shots in the game that focus on characters' faces because they're so expressive, like. You like think of like for example like early in the game when you're in the barrel and the pirates about to throw you onto the Forsaken Island or the Forbidden Island or whatever. Spoilers. Like, Link is sort of like freaking out and uh, sorry that was my game. Um, but like and you know he's making these faces and one of like they use like this visual joke where it's counting down to you getting catapulted on the island and it's like every time it's changing his face and you get a lot of personality out of that. Um, you know, to say nothing of the gameplay in that game, but it's just, I really like how charming that game is. But anyways, that's sort of very tangentially related to Majora's Mask, which I'm excited for. Okay. Majora's Mask, we are all very happy. Yay! Uh, well, what else is exciting? There's the uh, the good guys at CD Projekt Red have announced that Witcher 3 is going to come with 16 free DLC packs. I'm going to pause right Oh, yeah. I'm pausing right there. I saw so many stories online from people being like, this is bad DLC. I was like, it's free? I don't even understand what your complaint is right now. I have an interesting thought on that because I love CD Projekt Red and I think they're really very consumer oriented don't don't be that guy steven no 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 so like and i i I like what they're doing with that we have to sort of agree here like and he see they even admitted it when they announced this they were like we were doing this because we hope it sets a precedent and i agree i hope it sets a precedent but it's also sort of just free good marketing yeah like 
they're like, yeah, we're going to add a piece of horse armor. Of course, it's free. You know, yeah, that's cool. But it's like, you know, that that's pretty much a marketing attempt. And it's a good one. And it's in consumers' favor. So I'm not, like, saying it's a bad thing. I just – it's like there's going to be 16 pieces of DLC. And I'm like, there was a ton of stuff added to Witcher 2. Yeah, that's not news. I don't know. It just – it seems so weird to be like, this is an arbitrary number because they might not stop at 16. They probably won't. They never do. But but now here's my problem is that there has been so much forced gamer outrage lately with this story and then with the um, – what you call it? Uh, the Just Cause 3, like an early build screenshot for that game showed microtransactions. And the news stories were already coming out when Game Informer announced, yes, we're showing off Just Cause 3. People were like, this is why microtransactions will ruin Just Cause 3. That the developers had to come out and say, yeah, that was an early build that we were screwing around with and there's no microtransactions in the game. Like, gamer outrage is getting to the point, and Steven, you're the one who mentioned it today, we're calling a gate at the end of anything that happens, oh like, now God. we're all of Assassin's Creed gate, oh, there's Advanced Warfare gate, like... My, my thoughts on whatever the real gate is aside, um, yeah, that just drives me nuts, it's like, no, it's not a gate, the, the, the Watergate scandal wasn't about water. Yeah, I I don't, but there's there's a lot of faux outrage amongst. Yeah, well, it's like right and and you know uh, Vox, who you know Polygon and stuff. I you know lately I've been a little not quite as enthralled with Polygon. They're getting a little clickbaity um, and sort of playing on outrage. Uh, but you know Vox Media, I just see so many editors posting their stories and like we're going to talk about this gate or that gate, and I'm like, oh my god, stop perpetuating that. Co- commoditization of outrage it's just it's so stupid yeah like if you want to have a conversation about hey maybe ubisoft shouldn't have released assassin's creed unity so soon maybe it has issues that's a perfect thing to talk about but don't start like the top 10 reasons that assassin's creed unity is stealing your money it should just be computer consumer advocacy it should be like yeah this game isn't very good okay moving on like we don't have to lose our minds over this guys we can just be like yeah okay that that, that game wasn't very good no must, yeah, no fuss. You know, it's kind of an uh, and excessive amount it, of outrage, outrage and entitlement going on with a lot of these things. And like, exa- it's exactly like you said. I feel, I feel like they should, the a the company should probably be working on their games to make them not glitchy pieces of junk. But b like, if you're a consumer, then your option is to not buy that thing. Yeah, you want to know why I stopped buying Assassin's Creed games? Because three was terrible. That's why I'm not even involved in this right now. I'm just like, yeah, 3 was um that game was really bad and I have not played an Assassin's Creed since and you know what? I've been a happier person for it. I I don't, I don't know. I just You know, I, I mean, you know me. I've never really been big on that series. Um even the ones that people liked. So I mean, I can't really comment on that. I just, you know, what I can say is that th- that whole like the re- embargo is 12 hours after release. Oh, that's wrong. There is absolutely – they knew that game was go- – they knew it wasn't ready. It was a we need to get it out now so it can be in Microsoft's bundle so that way we can all make a ton of money. We'll release it now and fix it later. I feel like that's sort of that, – that is the conclusion. Like there's no other cut about it. And only now that it's like, oh, yeah, we're in trouble. Now they're like, we're going to fix that. I'm like, well, you shouldn't have done it to begin with. And that's why like I think it's good on Kotaku where they were like, yeah, from now on if we get an embargo that's after release, we're just going to break it. Yeah, but I, I guess and, my, and I think that's smart from a PR standpoint because what 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 is the developer going to say? 
well, then we're not going to give Kotaku review rules anymore. It's like then they very clearly are the one who is anti-consumer. Well, let me ask this question. So Lords of the Fallen, when I played it, it had some serious issues. I had very huge problems playing that game. That game did not feel like it should have been released. Where were all the news stories talking about, you know, the top 10 reasons that Lords of the Fallen missed QA or something like that? Is it because Lords of the Fallen isn't as big as Assassin's Creed? Is that all it comes down to? Is it really just these clickbait Yeah, I articles? think it comes down to the publisher also, you know, like – there sounds like there's every right to have that sort of outrage with Lords of the Fallen. But, you know, I think this is sort of with Ubisoft, who has a history of these sort of anti-consumer practices. And I, I do think it's an industry-wide thing. I think that's why it's good that Kotaku took that stance. Um, you know, like Sega did the same thing. Sega didn't send out reviewables of Sonic Boom. The game is apparently a complete broken mess. And you know why? This because is my shocked face. People will know it's a broken mess. You, like, we need to get past the joke that Sonic is terrible, Generations was good, Lost World was okay, but the, the more important thing is that this is apparently, like, so broken that they're comparing it to Sonic 2006. That is pretty bad. And, Ouch. like, you know, it had less than a year turnaround time, and it's developed by ex-Naughty Dog people. It's, like, to an extent, it's, like, what, first of all, how lucrative is this business of you releasing broken Sonic games and then monetizing the, the merchandising of it? You know, are you making enough money to warrant just continually pumping out bad games and even having good developers make bad games. But it's like, you know, that was a, an anti, that is a, we don't want people to have word on this before it's purchasable. So they just buy it immediately. And yeah, I, you I mean, know, I guess I'm fine with that, but I just, the outrage over it, it's like people that get pissed off when the next Madden game, Oh man, Madden wasn't as good as the last one. I'm like, well, then stop buying it. Like, when I got done with Assassin's Creed, I stopped buying those games because I found them to be janky and kind of, they got on my nerves. And so I've been staying out of it. The, vote the, with your dollars. Don't that, vote with clickbait articles. Just don't, you know, it's like that the argument, joke. Don't, just don't look. That 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 work, That's a good argument, and I agree completely. It's sort of like the people who go, I'm so tired of clickbait. The response is, then stop clicking on it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I will not click. I, I I'm actively trying not to do any more clickbait articles because it just started to really upset me. Like I was not. I want to enjoy video games. I don't want to sit here and make it like this terrible thing that annoys the crap out of me. I like yeah, aging, but I don't. That want... point with with uh, a lot of people, and it's kind of sad. I think we've not. I say we, but I think a lot of people have lost sight of why they game in the first place. It's kind of become a compulsion. Like, I'm into games and I have to continue keeping up on them and I have to continue expressing my opinions about things and being outraged about things that don't actually affect me. And I, I remember when I was like six, I used to be concerned about, you know, did Metal Gear have a bigger Metacritic rating than uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time? That was when I was six. Like I'm, I'm over that now. I'm First kind of, all, I'm kind of grown up because Metacritic didn't exist. But I get what you're yeah. going. Yeah, but you know what I mean. I'm old, guys. I'm old. I'm allowed you're to so say old, that. Old. Oh my God. Says the you're person. an old man. It, it is. You're older than me. Jesus. Am I the oldest one on the podcast right now, Caitlin? Please be older than me. Nope. Sorry. Aww. You're not that much older than me, though. Okay. Like you're, you're maybe about. Six months older than me. There we go. Okay, so Steven's a baby, and so is Derek. Ha ha ha. Sure. Okay, can we talk about happy things? Give me some happy news. Derek, how about you How about you make me happy? Uh, pick the news story that'll probably make me the happiest in the world. 
Uh, Bloodborne. Don't, don't pick the Bloodborne one. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be like, God damn it! <laughs> Supremely tempted to do that. All right, let's get it out of the way. Bloodborne, de- Bloodborne, Bloodborne delayed. About almost two months. It's been delayed till the end of March. I'm not surprised. I am not upset. I have I have counted to ten. And no, every Souls game has been delayed some amount of time, either with the PC version of Dark Souls 2. Dark Souls 1 was delayed almost a week from its original date. I'm not concerned about it. And if the end of the day I get a better, more stable product with a frame rate above 10, I'm happy. Yeah, the twelve is going to be really worth it. Yeah, twelve, uh, dude. That that's that's the key development time right there. I, I was kind of surprised that the community, um, the internet, didn't kind of rage out over that. Like I was worried they were going to. Well, I think that's a pretty short delay. Yeah, that's that's an uh, that's a comfortable delay. <laughs> that's that's not like you know Rob texted me. Oh no! The morning they delayed it, and goes, <laughs> I, I'm like half asleep, and I just get this text. It's like they delayed Bloodborne. I'm like, till when? And the text returning is till the end of November. And I went on this tirade. I was like, Rob, you got so mad at Arkham City because they clearly announced it knowing that they were going to delay it. I'm like, there's no way they didn't know they were going to have to delay this game six months. And he goes, oh, sorry, iPhone autocorrected. End of March. Yes, my iPhone did go a little uh, bat crap crazy, and I apologize for that. But, oh, yeah, if it was delayed almost a full year, I would have been the first person losing my mind. Like, come on, guys, you had to know that that was going to happen. But, you know, thankfully, it's only about a two-month delay. I think we'll get a better product. I think having people find cracks in their world in, during the beta kind of scared them a little bit. And frankly, I'm okay with that. And also, it, we, how many articles – talk about clickbait articles. How many articles have we seen like it's not a good idea for Sony to release the Order 1886 – or 1866? What? Is it 18, 1886? Uh, it's not a good idea to release the Order and Bloodborne in the same month. They're stupid. They shouldn't do that. And it's like, okay. I, I, yeah, but one of those games is going to tank. I don't think the Order is going to tank. Really? I don't I th- think I think that game is I boom. think that game is going to be not very good, but I don't think <laughs> it's going to tank. I think it's going to sell. I think it's going to sell because it is all my problems with that game at E3, I didn't really like what I played. It is very very pretty. And sometimes a pretty game will sell. I think the first Uncharted wasn't a very good game that sold on graphics. Uncharted 2 is a better game, but Uncharted 1 kind of sold on its graphics graphics and the half tuck. Let's be honest. I still buy it for the half tuck. Of course you would. I mentioned that the half tuck is so famous. I mentioned it in my Dragon Age review. I know that's why I put it there, big guy. Synergy, 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 science, energy, electrolyte, stereotypes. Yeah. So Bloodborne delayed. I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. I'll get over it. I'm not mad. Here, it's not that use, big deal. Use this to wipe up your tears from here. Yeah. Now you'll now you'll have time to be playing Final Fantasy Type Zero instead. That and is then true. You, then you can get um, Bloodborne. Yay. And I also have more time to play uh, Dragon Age. I mean, I, I'm okay. And the, Witcher, <laughs> and the Witcher. The witchiest? The witchiest Witch, Witcher. The Witcher 3 witchiest. witchiest. around. Witcher 3, the witchening. Yeah, again, it's it's a good thing. And I think game delays are totally fine. I had written a news story a little bit ago about another game that had been delayed. And the communities were kind of like losing their minds. And I said, look, I would much rather have the game delayed than come out and not be good. Like, didn't Miyamoto say that years ago? When like his games were getting delayed left and right, and I totally agree with it. Like delayed game eventually good, <laughs> rush game always bad. Probably not going to be good. 
Yeah, like when has a delay well, ever really <laughs> hurt the game in the long run? Yeah, you don't sit there and go, man, that delay just took away resources and didn't give them enough time to finish that game. You know, it's like how people are like, Final Fantasy 15, all these delays are taken away from the game. It's like, no, the game was restarted and yeah. it's not making any difference. That game wasn't even in development until probably a full development. It until wasn't until development until like two years ago. Yeah. Come That's on. why when people are like, it's been in development for 10 years. No, it hasn't. As much as I love writing those kinds of stories, it's not true. So, like, everybody calm down. Everybody calm down. Calm down. Tell her to chill. All right. More news. Turk, I think you should talk to her about your feelings. (laughs) Telltale announced that the first of the Game of Thrones game series is going to be coming out soon. And it's going to be a six-episode arc. I, I don't know if they had said that before, had they? I, I, so. I hadn't heard it. I think that's new. Yeah. So six episodes. First one is coming out soon. Don't know. But soon, it, quote unquote, soon. Yeah, at some point, it said it, it's, it'll be before the end of the year. So before the end of December. But I'm uh, excited. I'm, I'm is... such the Game of Thrones fanboy over here. Yes. I, I'm totally okay with all of this. Oh, yeah. Uh, I yeah. think all of so, you guys are going to be super down with that, huh? It's called Iron from Ice. Uh, and it will be good, probably, because it's Telltale. So, yeah, they're no one ever criticized them of having bad writing. I think it'll be really good. Um, I'm interested. I think they got some good ideas, and you know, where can they go with it? I'm very interested. I think it'll be good. I'm excited. I actually need to finish both uh, Walking Dead season two and Wolf Among Us. Oh God, I keep forgetting to finish Wolf Among Us. I'll be really interested to see what you thought of uh, Walking Dead season two because a lot of people didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of my students actually were pretty down on it. I'm on episode three of both of those, so I should probably pick them up. But I saw that they had both come out for PS4, so I'm a little bit tempted to just get those and then start over since it's been so long. I don't know because they're pretty cheap. They're like what 25 or are they 30? I guess since they're retail. Either way, they're they're pretty cheap. So that's a PSA to everybody. If you haven't played either of those yet, you can grab them for a PS4 if you have one of those. And I think they're out on the other consoles, too. But I missed it in the Skype chat. Yes, Dragon Quest Nine was developed by Level 5. Hooray! Thank you. You were right, Rob. Shut up, Mimsy! <laughs> shut up, Mimsy! Mimsy, yeah. shut up! Yes. And the final news story I was going to bring up was just that they, uh, I, I guess Square Enix has internally decided on a time a release time frame for Final Fantasy 15, but they ain't saying. Of course they're not. So, mm-hmm. I hope it's in no. uh, Guesses? I'm guessing end of 2015 in Japan, early 2016 here. We That's should make a wager on this. Well, especially with the demo coming out in March. Personally, I gonna... think it's going to be end of 2015 Japan, early 2016 here. I agree with Derek. Okay, so we better prices right this so we can all get our days in. and then Wait, you can When did you say it's going to be? Before. Um... I, I think Derek and I said the same thing, and that's end of 2015 for Japan, early 2016 for us. Yeah, Caitlin agrees too. Yes. I'd say er, I'm going to say early 2016 for Japan. All I'm right. not that far off from you guys. I think it's going to be early 2016. Yeah, I think I think with the way they're showing it and talking about it, I think that game is about a year out. Yeah, and we'll probably get a pretty meaty uh, update on the development at E3, so that'll be fun. I hope. Yeah, and, and with the demo coming in March, I think they've confirmed now that it's day and date with uh, Type Zero, isn't it? Oh, yeah. have, they, have they confirmed that? I th- I'm pretty sure Tabata said that in an interview. Awesome. Um, I, I hope so. Don't quote me off the top of the head, but I'm pretty sure they said that it's going to be nope. able to launch with that. 
held accountable for that until the end of your days. Fair enough. I mean, I hope that's the case because I want to play it. And I, you know, they, they sort of claim that they won't be able to make giant changes from the demo, or, but they said they're going to take feedback from the demo into account. And I think that'll be really good because it'll, it'll give them a chance to sort of be a little more open and make improvements if there's things that need to be changed. You know, other than the whole, we need a diverse party, which they're sort of already, sort of already boned on the whole diverse party thing. Yeah. It's going to be weird to see. Yeah. It does bum me out that they have an all-guy cast. Maybe they can do something interesting with it, but that, you know, I don't know. I, I like having the diversity in the cast, and after listening to all the awesome banter between characters in Dragon Age, I almost said Dragon Quest, listening to all that awesome banter, which Bioware is really good at, I I don't know. Um, you know maybe they can do it. It's just, it's not I, as I interesting. I don't think it's impossible for it to be an interesting story with cool characters, I just think it's, you know, the scale is definitely not quite as big when you only have these four dudes wearing leather, all black, traveling around in a convertible, hanging out. Yeah. Like, not that there's not there's nothing that can come from that, but I just, I, you know, I'm calling it right now. When that demo is released, you're gonna have the greased lightning song playing over YouTube videos. You oh know. no! That, I'm calling that one right now. <laughs> I think the the cast, as it's presented, uh, creates a very specific framework for the story to operate in. So I think that that can be limiting. But yeah, we'll see what happens. I think we're all very interested in how that one turns yeah, out. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm stoked for it. I'm, I can't wait for it to come out. So the sooner, sooner that demo comes out, the better. We can check it out. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. That's yep. all I have for news today. All right. We good? We're good. All right. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for uh, listening to the podcast. Be sure to like us on iTunes. I would love to get to 100 ratings this year, but I kind of doubt that's going to happen, and it makes me sad. But, you know. Feed me, Seymour. Feed me, reviews. Feed me, Seymour. The guy sure looks like plant food to me. He sure looks like plant food to me. Plant food to me. Anybody? I'm with you. No, I know you are. We definitely won't get there. Uh, yeah, that's probably. We true. have what Britney Spears, Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, oh, pop pop poker face, pop pop poker face, ma 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 ma. I'm sorry. Was this the music podcast? <laughs> yes, I'm in the wrong yes. podcast. No, no, no. You're at the right podcast, Caitlin. You're at the right podcast, Caitlin. Did you have fun? All right, and now we're going to move into our interview with Cameron Lee, the producer of Dragon Age Inquisition. Enjoy! on Dragon Age Inquisition at Bioware Edison. All right, awesome, Cameron. So right away, uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, one of the things that really struck me about the game was just the very title of the game, Dragon Age Inquisition, yeah. you know, that kind of, a, it's very evocative of a lot of things in history and a lot of things in fantasy. And so I kind of wanted to ask, yeah. first off, what made you guys kind of decide to go with this route to kind of get away from maybe the Dragon Age 3 that you could have gone with after 2? And also, what are you implying by using a title like Inquisition? 
Yeah, it's, that's a good question. Um, there's a couple of things with it. So, you know, first of all, if we put a three uh, behind Dragon Age, uh, you know, what we what we think is that people are probably going to be uh, going to wonder whether they need to have played the previous two Dragon Age games. So it sort of certainly implies that, you know, particularly with the Bioware game, it has such a focus on story. Um, however, with Dragon Age as a franchise, we're not really telling the story of a single character where you have to sort of take them through these through these games, but we're telling the story, I guess, more of the world of Dragon Age as it progresses through time mm-hmm. with various events taking place. So uh, that's, that's really the reason why No. 3. Uh, and when it comes to Inquisition, it's... Uh, you are right, it's an evocative, evocative title, um, but it's also a title which speaks to the goals of the Inquisition in our game. So when people hear the words the Inquisition, they think of one or two things, either Monty Python or they think <laughs> of uh, the Spanish Inquisition. And uh, with the Spanish Inquisition, um, you know, right or wrong, and, and despite all the horrible things they do, in their minds at least they were trying to uncover the truth. And and it's no different for, for Dragon Age Inquisition. You, you are the leader of this large organization that you've brought together different factions and different groups and different people, all with the goal of uncovering the truth behind all this chaos that's happening in the world, the truth behind what happened with the big explosion that tore a rift in the sky, what, what's causing the civil war in LA, what, why are all these different factions in chaos and, and potentially corrupted. So it, it's really that sense of you being the leader and you you pulling these people in who you know with a, with this goal of uncovering the truth because you're the only ones who are willing to do something about it and stand up and and uh, bring some some stability to the world. Awesome, awesome. Uh, now moving forward, one of my biggest things coming off of Dragon Age Origins, I loved replaying that game and starting it with different races and different character classes and kind of seeing where the story took me. And in Dragon Age 2, you had Hawk, who was a human character. You could obviously choose genders and make a lot of decisions. When you guys announced Dragon Age Inquisition and you said you were going back to allowing us to pick our races and basically start a fresh character, I found that to just be an awesome move back to Origins, but how do you guys manage to go back from kind of a more single narrative focus in Dragon Age 2 with a single human character, how do you guys manage to still make this a narrative-focused game when there are now so many choices in being a Kunari, being an elf, being a dwarf, that sort of thing? Yeah, it's it's always a tough challenge. I mean, the writers at Bioware have a lot of experience with uh, working with these sorts of branching narratives and, and understanding the impacts of different decisions and actions that you take in the world. So they're quite familiar with it, but you know, it was certainly a no-brainer for us. We knew that we wanted to have, uh, I guess, one of the pillars of the game being, uh, I guess, this concept of play your way. And what I mean by that is um, the ability for you to have your own character to pick your gender, pick your race, pick how you, you look, um, play the way you want to play, whether it be in tactical or in, in sort of action or a combination of both. Um, you know, craft the equipment that you want to want to be in. So there's, there's a lot of decisions that have been made throughout the course of development which strengthen that ability for you to have your own fantasy fulfillment rather than us force a fantasy fulfillment upon you. Um, so I think that's that's sort of the biggest thing that we've, we've taken, and um, and hopefully the players will be able to sort of, as you said, play through multiple times and see these different outcomes as they as they form. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that going to play kind of directly into the replayability and the role-playing aspect of the game? You know, like uh, getting to the lands meet as an elf in Dragon Age Origins was very different than getting there as a human. I mean, as a human, you weren't ever going to be crowned king. Uh, excuse me, as an elf, you couldn't be crowned king, but as a human, you possibly could. Are we going to see those kinds of narrative branches just based on the racial selection of your Inquisitor? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it sort of spreads even more so than Origins. Like Origins, we front-loaded a lot of the race-specific uh, and class-specific content right up front. Um, so people got sort of slapped in the face with it and it became a very memorable thing. But it meant that the rest of the game, there was only a few sort of bigger chunks, you know, that that, that really reacted to some of these fundamental decisions of who are you. Uh, so with Inquisition, what we wanted to do was have more of the game react to those fundamental decisions. So we spread that sort of content out throughout the entire game. Um, so there'll be scenarios where, for example, you know, if you go to Olay, where, where it's a very, um, I guess, sort of posh, very political kind of an environment, uh, certainly dominated by humans, uh, if you're an elf or if you're a canary, it, it's a lot more difficult for you to... Um, work within that political structure um, than if you're a human. So that's just one example, but but you know it's it's more um, prevalent as it sort of goes through the entire game than than Origins. Mm-hmm. When you guys showed the game at E3, I remember sitting in uh, the theater there and just seeing this huge open world. When uh, you showed the town of Redcliffe and every area that you could go to, how are you guys looking at exploration in this game? Like, uh, are we going to be able to find different quests in the environment? Are we going to be able to find different pieces of loot? How do you guys make it interesting to explore the world without running into those problems that a lot of open world games have, where they just have repeated content over and over again? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time um, trying to understand how to do an open world experience um, with Bioware storytelling. Uh, it was always one of the ambitions of the game to to bring the best of those two together because so often, uh, as you mentioned, you know, RPG, Western RPGs at least tend to focus on either one or the other. They, they tend to be very open world but, but with a relatively weak story or they're, they're very linear with a strong story and we wanted to have the best of both worlds so it took us a while but eventually we got to the point where we understood that we could use um, the inquisition the organization that the player leads as the glue that holds those two together so what you'll do um, as you play through the game you'll be each major sort of open area that you go to has a purpose for the inquisition being there and has a connection to the overall narrative that we're telling uh, and you'll go through this world and you'll, you'll have some, some general um, idea about what you're trying what the Inquisition is trying to accomplish in this area but then there's so much sort of side content scattered around that whether it be sort of dungeons or castles or capturing a keep or, or um, uh, quests you know getting horses for your Inquisition or whatever it happens to be so there is narrative tiebacks um, into the main story and then you'll be earning power and influence for your inquisition as well and then spending that power and influence uh, at the war table so you have this big sort of map that's, that spans uh, for Elden and away um, and uh, on that map you can order your inquisition agents to do some actions throughout the world and that costs power so you can have your agents go off and um, you know, assassinate a political leader or um, 
gather rare crafting materials for you, or it could be repairing a bridge that you uh, like a, repairing a destroyed bridge that you found in the world, so you can then cross over the valley and and see more content. Um, or it, it's also the mechanism by which you progress through the next part of the story. So it's this sort of gameplay loop of uh, there is a purpose for your inquisition, you know, in this area. Go and do that, and power, spend that power, and progress through the story. So it, it's been this really interesting uh, connection between those that sort of open world exploration and story. Cool. Cool, cool. I'm getting flashes of uh, Joe Abercrombie's The First Law Trilogy. If you've ever read that, I'm kind of like imagining myself as Inquisitor Glokta and doing really mean, nasty things to people behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen that, but, but yeah, it, it could well be that. Awesome, awesome. It, it was kind of amazing. We were talking on the website a few days ago that Dragon Age Origins is five years old now. I mean, I was back in graduate school when I first played it the first time. Um, how has the RPG landscape changed in five years? Like, how do you guys feel? This is your third game in the franchise, but it, it almost feels like Dragon Age has been around longer than five years. So how do you guys feel about bringing this game out? What are some of the challenges? What are some of the differences in the landscape right now for RPGs? Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting you, you raise that and talk about it being five, five years old. For Bioware, you know, it feels like it's been 10 years because Dragon Age Origins at least is in development for so long as we're starting to build up the lore and the world and the franchise. So uh, certainly for us, it's, it's a lot longer than that. Um, and the landscape's changed dramatically. You know, I remember RPGs, you know, some of the first games that I really got into as a gamer were the old gold box uh, games, you know, like Pool of Radiance and Champions of the Korean and stuff like that. Um, you know, sort of going from that type of an RPG to what we have today, uh, certainly things are very different. Um, what is the same, though, is... Um, story and uh, this concept of of you taking on a role and role playing um, within that world and being able to fulfill those different fantasies that I mentioned earlier. So there's a lot of similarities uh, still, but, but things have changed. Certainly as a world has um, become really big focus. So that's sort of uh, open world from anything kind of like, you know, obviously Skyrim, but also Fallout, Red Dead, uh, GTA even, you know, has a very big open world. Uh, so things, the, the players' expectations, I think, are shifting a little bit um, to being this sort of, I guess, like a um, freedom, I guess is probably the best word, that they have the freedom to get lost in the world and to um, be able to make their own decision about where they go and how they interact with the story in the world. So and I think that's where uh, the exploration and the inquisition um, really sort of bridges that gap and really sort of strengthens that concept because the players can get involved in the story um, at their leisure and at their choice or they can go off and explore the world and get lost in it and discover all those sort of little nooks and crannies and, and, and dungeons and things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool, cool. I mean, I think I could sit here and talk your ear off about Dragon Age all day, so I just want to like wrap it up with one last question, kind of looking at the future. Um, in, you know, we, we opened the conversation talking about how we moved away from Dragon Age 3 as the title. Is that kind of uh, indicative about where you guys will take this franchise in the future? Are we more focused on telling different stories in the world of Thetis instead of focusing in like Mass Effect on a single character? Like, Where do you guys see Dragon Age going in the future? Uh, good question. It's, it's really too too hard to tell right now. You know, We, we certainly want to sort of see how how Inquisition does and, and what people like about it and what they don't like about it and, and sort of take 
take sort of any learnings that we have from from the Inquisition and we can sort of see what what we want to do. Certainly, as a, from a narrative piece, we know the general gist of the sort of whole series of story arcs that we want to tell, uh, and that can always be adjusted slightly. You know, when we start to think about, well, you know, if, if people really like this particular character, then maybe we can reuse it, or maybe we tell a completely different story like we've been doing. Uh, but either way, it will be the story of the Dragon Age world. Uh, but as I said, whether that same character can fit within multiple spots in that story, you know, it's something we can certainly look at once we once we see what Inquisition uh, does and you know and, and how people like it, I guess. Awesome, awesome. Well, I mean, we're all really excited at RPG Fan right now. I think I can say that uh, there was there was almost a murder over who was going to get the review copy for the game. I thought I was going to have to drive to Steven's house and beat him up and take it. So I, I think at the very wow. least, you guys are, well, we're very violent at RPG Fan sometimes. But, um, That's fair enough. <laughs> I think you guys are well on your way. And, and Cameron, I really want to thank you for uh, speaking to the listeners a little bit about the game. No worries, man. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I, I do appreciate you taking the time to talk to me as well. So it's good to get a chance to speak to you guys and, and you know, have the, 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 you know, your listeners and, and, and readers, you know, hear a little bit more about the game. So that's, that's fantastic. I appreciate it.